Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. TV producer and director Bella Falk has found herself in numerous scrapes over the years, including a car accident outside a Polish rice cake factory, having to stay the night in a brothel in Mali, and somehow accidentally climbing a volcano in Tanzania. She's worked on a radio station in Ghana, volunteered in a school in Chile, and worked face-to-face with Greg Dyke, the former Director General of the BBC. She and I caught up to talk about her travel adventures and her fantastic career. As a producer and director, Bella has made programmes for the BBC, Discovery and Channel 4, but she's also a professional photographer and writer, featured in Wanderlust, BBC Travel, National Geographic and Lonely Planet and a blogger publishing her work at PassportAndPixels.com. This is the latest episode of The Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the travel industry. I've been a, a fan of travel for as long as uh, I've been able to travel. I was sure. very, very lucky that my my parents were able to take us on on holiday when I was small. So I got to go to a few places and just fall in love with the idea of going to different places and seeing different things and having adventures. Um, and I was also lucky that after I finished school and before I went to university, I was able to take a year out, Fantastic. Uh, which is, you know, something that, you know, is more and more popular was still popular I think when I was when I was a teen when I was 18 um so I went on a I did a volunteering project to uh, Chile and I spent six months uh volunteering in a school in Chile and then I met some girls while I was there and we traveled together through the whole of Chile and then Paraguay Bolivia Peru and Ecuador and I flew home from Ecuador after about eight months away and just that really was like you know, my first sort of big travel experience on my own and, and you know, had loads of adventures and absolutely loved it. And um, then went and studied languages at university. Um, so again, kind of really was hoping that languages would, would lead into more travel. Um, and at the same time was getting involved at that point in media stuff. So I, I was always good at English and interested in writing um, and sort of fairly early on thought I might want to be a journalist of some mm. sort. But whether that was print or broadcasting, um, I didn't really know. But I did student the student newspaper at university, and I also had a show on the student radio station, which was terrible. But that was <laughs> <laughs> um, and and after that, I kind of I kind of didn't want didn't know what I wanted to do after university, but I didn't want to get a job straight away. So I thought I would try and travel a bit more. 
And so I found a volunteering position in Ghana at a radio and TV station. Um, wow. And I went for six months to Ghana and did three months in the, in this radio station and three months in this in this TV channel where I made my first also equally terrible documentary about the markets in Accra, um, which I still have on a VHS somewhere. And I maybe I should watch it and see how terrible it is. Oh, you're aging yourself now. I mean, <laughs> let, let, first things first, Bella, student union, sorry, student uh, university radio, you say. Yeah. What was it about and why was it terrible? Uh, well, it was basically me playing my favourite tunes, which are... That's all radio stations, isn't it? Yeah, and chatting with my mates, which is basically... That's radio stations. Yeah. It was, you know, it was a very early pioneering podcast, basically. And it was, yeah, me, I'd get my mates <laughs> in, we'd play some music. And so we'd... this is terrible yeah. as well then, by definition. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Oh dear. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I have absolutely no idea how many listeners we had because no one ever kept records of these things. So of we course. might have been talking into dead air. Um, but it was fun. It was a good experience. And uh, yeah, so once a week, I think for four weeks, because um, the, the radio station only ran for a period of four weeks every year. What? Yeah, I think the broadcasting licenses, they were only allowed to have a broadcasting license. So they had a month of radio and then 11 months of silence. I think it was something like that. Yeah. So I didn't do very many. And I did that, it every year. For, uh, that's years. reason enough to call it terrible. I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, but then you moved to Ghana. That's phenomenal in its own right. And then you were working on the local station there. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. That's a national station. Again, I had, I had two, I had two wow. shows on Choice FM in Accra. Wow. I even had my own stalker for a bit. Well, that was quite fun. Oh, you've made um, it when you've got a stalker. Yeah. Right? That's that's fame. Um, yeah, one of the listeners scary. got so obsessed with me that he started showing up at the radio station and leaving notes. Oh, Christ. Okay, that's not fame anymore. That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it was a, it was a bit scary, um, but it was all right. Uh, why so why Ghana? What, just because you saw the opportunity there? Yeah, basically. It was somewhere I'd never been. Obviously, basically, I hadn't been anywhere at that point. And, <laughs> sure. um, and it was mostly because it was a it was one of these projects, these kind of student volunteering projects where you pay a bit to go and they organize it and support it and you live in a home a homestay and they set up basically an internship. They had they had this project in Ghana that was TV or radio. So I did one of each back to back, three months TV and three months radio, stayed for six months. Wow. And with a bit with a bit of time to travel at the end as well. You know, to have more experience in the in the media and travel at the same time, and partly because my I was getting pressure from my parents to go out and get a job, um, and <laughs> I, I, I still am. <laughs> I didn't want to, and I was like, but look, if I do this, this is you know furthering my career, and it's you know important like experience, and they they bought that, so um, that's result. Why. Yeah. So that sounds like that very much set you on the path to to your career today. I mean, almost maybe it's fair to say, kind of on a whim, you ran away to Ghana or went to Ghana to try this, and it really set you up for some because you were studying languages. You said right, so yeah, very much languages that. with maybe a media bent because of your uh, student university radio that kind hmm. of thing. But this really set you on the the path to to working in media, working in video. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely that. And also, I was I was working at the BBC during the university holidays as a temp secretary Brilliant. so uh, i did a secretarial qualification after a levels wow. um and then initially started off because i lived close to london doing temping in the city which was mind-blowingly boring <laughs> and i nearly wanted to, to just die because it was just banks and oh it was so tedious and then i was like <laughs> why am i doing this why am i killing myself every day for 10 pounds an hour or whatever it was which Oof, yeah, money. Sure. great money in those days actually um you know, to do data entry for banks when I could be being a secretary for a media company or somewhere more interesting. So I contacted 
the Guardian and Channel 4 and the BBC and various other places and said, do you, do you need temps? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at that stage, the BBC had a, a pool of temps because a lot of their high execs had their own secretaries, which nowadays nobody does because of downsizing. Of um, and so I was able to get on their pool of their temp pool and then was doing in the holidays, holiday cover or maternity cover. Um, and just being in the BBC and just absolutely loved the environment and the access that I got because you know being a secretary only the top people had secretaries so I, for a month I did holiday cover for the the boss of, of Radio 5 Live Indeed. and I would sit in the office and all of the presenters would come in and I'd be you know being reception for them and you know That's and hearing that, typing up you know or photocopying scripts and just being exposed to all of that stuff was just it was just I was so happy there I didn't kind of knew at that point I just wanted to work in the BBC and I didn't really care what I did in at the top in many ways right you're, you're dealing directly with big level high level execs at the BBC mm-hmm. pretty I much spent, your first major job out of out of uni I spent oh. six months on the director general's team Jesus Christ yeah I was face to face with Greg Dyke who was the DG at that point. of course Greg Dyke yeah. good lord you and Greg just kicking it <laughs> unbelievable well that certainly set you on the on the path to your career today then it sounds like uh and now uh, i mean you probably heard at the start of the show folks is it's almost difficult to to know what to call you bella are you a producer are you a director are you a writer are you a blogger are you a photographer i need to take take a breath are you are you all of the above are you a freelance you know are you a freelance journalist are you a freelance photographer and and many many more actually let's just start with that question what would you you know identify as nowadays what's your kind of main uh, portfolio of career work i think i answer that question differently depending on who's asking interesting um because yeah the i mean i've been in tv 18 years wow. so i am and that's what pays the mortgage sure actually so yes primarily i'm still a, a documentary producer director and i make science nowadays i make science and history films mostly for us networks so i i do enough telly to kind of keep me busy and and then in the gaps between the freelance contracts then i am also i write my blog or i do that at the weekends and in the evenings as well mm-hmm. and i um and i do photography and i travel i pitch to magazines and write travel stories when i can when i have the time i love the telly i don't want to give that up either it's very stressful but it's also very challenging it's very rewarding you get to go to amazing places and meet incredibly interesting people um so although it's quite stressful i don't want to give that up well let's go down that path a little bit tell us about what you're working on at the moment it's a really fascinating project folks connected with ancient animals is that fair to say that is correct yes yeah. so i uh, i can't tell you too much of this thing <laughs> but um on, but yes, I'm, work- <laughs> I'm working on a project about the evolution of whales the animal rather than the country the evolution of the country sure yes yeah, so we're going to do some filming in uh, with whales hopefully in the Dominican Republic and we're hoping to film some fossil uh, dig sites in Egypt and um, yeah it's pretty exciting. Wow fantastic perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your day-to-day life and your day-to-day jobs as a documentarian. I would love to uh, so for the, about the last four years I have been making films mostly about archaeology and history and a bit of science wow. and paleontology Um so before that, I've done an awful lot of things. I've worked on programs that people will know and have re- will recognize. So I started off on Watchdog mm. uh, and Rogue Traders, back when Rogue Traders was its own program. <laughs> Brilliant. I've ridden on the back of that, that motorbike, if anyone remembers the Rogue Traders motorbike. Um, oh, wow. We did secret filming, you know, trying to catch out bad guys. 
in houses or you know i've spent four days filming from the back of a van in sheffield oh proper surreptitious stuff yeah, wow. secret filming did that did the great british bake-off for one series um have done a couple of episodes of come dine with me Good uh, food unwrapped if anybody remembers yes that's that. uh, uh, jimmy right yeah, that's right. Jimmy, Jimmy Doherty from Jimmy's Farm, Matt Tebbett, who I think still presents um, Saturday Kitchen. I think so, yeah. Uh, and Kate Quilton um, were the presenters then. I don't know if they're still doing it now. I believe so. We got, we got to go to some exciting places. I filmed in a rice cake factory in Poland, which was quite stressful because wow. I crashed, crashed the car. Um, <laughs> you what? You crashed the car? I backed the I backed the hire car into a into a into a van that's a whole other dramatic story and then the police police were called and yeah uh, there's all sorts of fun things that go on when filming that I'm you know, you know. <laughs> desperately racking my brain for some sort of pun that we can make on all of this because this sounds absolutely hilarious we were trying to film a shot where the the presenter is arriving at the factory and so we 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 did a, did a u-turn in the factory car park went to the main road was going to pull out turn around in the main road and then turn back in and the cameraman was on the side of the road filming the car arriving at the factory uh-huh. and I was driving and the presenter was in the passenger seat and as we came to pull out there was a big delivery lorry trying to turn in and he was blocking the whole road so we couldn't get out so I had to back up to let him in and, and the time it took me to get to the thing realized that I was gonna have to back up somebody else had pulled up behind me and I reversed without checking behind me which I obviously should not have done sure. then just stopped him and just bumped him very gently but then he was all you've destroyed my car um, <laughs> And we didn't speak a word of Polish, so he called the police. We were literally just outside the factory where we were filming, so I had to go inside and um, and get the contributors to come out and translate. And then basically, the one of the factory people had to wait with the driver while we went on and carried on filming because we had to we had a schedule and we had to get a plane home at the end of the day. Um, And then we did the filming, and then at some point the police turned up, and I had to go and deal with them because I was the driver, and I had to leave the presenter and the camera crew to basically direct themselves. because I had to go and talk to the Polish police. It was all fine. It was a tiny little prank. It was covered by the insurance. Nobody was hurt, you know, but yeah, embarrassing. Absolutely fantastic. That is not a story I expected to hear. (laughs) There's all sorts of wonderful and ridiculous experiences that you have had in your career as a travel writer, blogger, photographer, and all of the above. Uh, I'm going to just go straight into it because this isn't a phrase I get to say very often, but tell me about your experiences in the brothel in Mali. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's just, this is kind of one of my favourite uh, travel stories. So this was after I'd been in Ghana mm-hmm. um, and me and one of the girls that I'd met out there in, in Accra decided that we wanted to travel overland to Timbuktu, as, as you, you do. do. Because oh. Timbuktu, Timbuktu is in Mali, you know, which is which is two countries north of, of Ghana. But you can get there if you try hard enough. And at the mm-hmm. time, it, it felt like a really cool place to be able to say that you'd been. There, there wasn't, I don't think there is, um, there are, to say there isn't much there is probably doing Timbuktu a massive disservice. Um, but at the time, the reason to go was to say that you'd been to Timbuktu, <laughs> right. um, which is just, just a great name. And so we got an overnight, what was supposed to be an overnight bus from Accra to Ouagadougou, which is the capital of Burkina Faso. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to take 24 hours. It ended up taking 48 because the bus broke down Crikey. just south of the border. And then had to we had to spend the night on the floor of the bus station while because the borders are closed at night, uh, and then continue on our journey the next day. So eventually we made it to, to uh, Burkina Faso, and then from there I can't remember this exactly because this was you know twenty years ago now, but there was definitely involved definitely involved then another bus to Mopti in Mali, and when we arrived in Mopti 
Um, because at this stage, you know, there weren't there, you know, there weren't that many backpackers and there weren't that many places to stay. And we had yeah. we had a guidebook. I, I don't know what I think it might have been a back guide actually. Yay, back guide. Um, and there weren't many places to stay. And one of them, you know, rented rooms by the night or by the hour. <laughs> so, you know, we went there, we dumped our um our our stuff and went out to get some food. And when we arrived, there was a sort of long corridor. And there were all these ladies sitting in the doorways of their open rooms, you know, with lots of incense. It was very fragrant incense and all these women with all that, you know, makeup and stuff on. And our room was just sort of, you know, along the corridor. <laughs> and so we, we went, we put our stuff in the room and we, we went out to try and get some food. And when we came back, um, all of the doors were now closed and all, you know, various noises in various rooms. So we went into our room and you know, shut the door. In the middle of the night, some man came and started bashing on the door. Which we, you know, we had a lock, fortunately, and it was locked. But we were sort of clean. We were, we had to share a double bed because that was all the rooms had only double beds. And yeah, and we were sort of clinging to each other in the night, being like, "Oh, oh my God, lord!" Order. Wow. Anyway, we just stayed really quiet. He banged on the door for a while and shouted a bit, and then went away. So was he uh, uh, soliciting? <laughs> Is he looking for business? Is it fair to uh, say? Absolutely no idea. He was trying to find someone. I don't think it was us. I think he maybe had the wrong room. I, I certainly hope so. Otherwise, that's a whole <laughs> other problem. Uh, yeah, oh. we only stayed one night, so yeah, we didn't see anyone. Well, the next. Good lord! Well, Polish rice cakes and Marlian brothels. These are two things that I did not expect to be discussing. But you know, life takes some funny terms. Something else that we should also—I'd uh, love to hear a little bit more about Bella—is um, climbing in a volcano by accident. Is that? I mean, that—that's what happened. But like, uh, what do you want to do? You want to explain how that happened? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this was in Tanzania not that long ago, actually, 2016. I went to climb Kilimanjaro, as you do. Again, one of these things, a bit like Timbuktu, where it was like, it's there and people do it. So I want to have a go. That's a good enough reason. Why not? Um, so I went and I climbed Kilimanjaro and that was wonderful. And after climbing Kilimanjaro, I, I wanted to go on safari and I was on my own and I didn't want to pay for a safari driver and sort of drive around in solitary splendor by myself mm -hmm. so i contacted various safari companies and said have you got anybody who's already going that i can hop on board with and they said actually we do have this german couple and they are going and they've got a safari booked and they are happy to have another person in the car but obviously you have to follow their itinerary so i was like that's fine so i joined up with them and they had not climbed kilimanjaro so they wanted to climb something mm -hmm. so the safari company had arranged for them to climb this other volcano called old on Lengai which I had never heard of. And I was, and it's half the height of Kilimanjaro. So I was like, well, look, I've just climbed Kilimanjaro. My, I've never been in better shape. I'm totally acclimatized to the altitude. Mm -hmm. I've got all the gear. This is a one day hike. Like how hard can it be? Oh, you know, I'll go. And pride and comes is, before a fall, presumably. <laughs> the answer is really extremely, very terrifyingly hard. God. Very hard. Um, I've written a blog post about it you know, which is one of my kind of, I quite like writing blog posts that are, this is a thing that I did and I really, really don't recommend it because they're a lot easier <laughs> to write than go here, everything's amazing. You know, that, that always sounds Absolutely. a little bit um, sort of sucking up. Whereas... Well, let's take the opportunity to mention that as well. As we said, folks, not only does Bella do production, directing, writing, photography, she's also a blogger. You can find her blog at passportandpixels.com. And yes. the story is about, just remind us the name of the volcano. It's called Oldoño Lengai. Which is not far from Kilimanjaro, is that right? It's in northern Tanzania, so it's a few yeah. hours drive. Yeah, 
Yeah, and the reason why it basically it was so difficult and terrifying is because in about, I think, 2008, it erupted. It's an active volcano. So Kilimanjaro is, is long, long uh, extinct. So mm-hmm, nothing mm-hmm. happened. But um, this is an active volcano. It erupted, and it was a big ash eruption. So the entire cone was covered with a big, thick layer of ash. And even though, you know, it was a decade later, it's still quite unstable. Yep. And there's no vegetation. There's nothing there's nothing to hold on to so as you're going up it's very it's a very steep triangular perpendicular not perpendicular but it's a very steep cone and you're walking up it very steep and if you slip and you grab on you know sometimes you'd slip which you do because it's like there's no vegetation as i say it's just sort of quite sheer you grab onto another bit of rock and your hand just comes away with a handful of ash oh my lord so it's not as bad as trying to climb a sand dune you're not sort of slipping backwards all the time but it's it's very sort of slippery it's, it was more a lot of it was a psychological thing because you know the higher up you get it's literally you and the, the valley floor three thousand feet below and if you slide you slide and you slide and you keep sliding and there's nothing to hold on to and you won't stop there'll be nothing to break your fall for, you know so we got you know a fair way up and the higher you go the more you're like because also i'm not very good with downhill like i'd prefer going upwards mm. and then downhill i, I you know, tend to slip over a lot and you know, don't have the most brilliant knees. Well, it's easier on the knees, right? Going up and you can yeah. focus on the top rather than focus on kind of plummeting, <laughs> shall we say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also going up, yeah, you're not looking, you're not, you haven't got the whole expanse of the valley below you right in front of your face. So the more we're going up, the more I'm thinking, but the more I go up, the more downhill I've got to do. And I don't want to do the downhill. Mm-hmm. And I started having this massive panic attack and then being like, oh, I don't want to go. But then the guide was like, well, look, there's me and you and the two Germans. Look, you can either sit here on the side of the mountain for the next six hours and wait for us to come back, or you're just gonna have to keep going, keep going. So I did, and it was terrifying. Um, and it took us an, longer to go down than it did to go up because it was so steep and slippery. Yeah, we were to go down on our bums with our hands, <sighs> arms and hands to go down. I've got photos of you know the guy trying. To, he was brilliant. He helped us really well, but it was not something I would do again. Well, uh, seeing as this is ultimately a travel podcast, there's there's a terrible travel experience for you to to never do again, folks. <laughs> never, never kind of uh, follow in the footsteps of Bella on that because that does sound absolutely terrifying. I'm not the world's, you know, mo- I'm pretty adventurous compared to most people, but I'm certainly not, you know, compared to a lot of people. And there are going to be keen hikers who think that that sounds like the best thing ever and they'll probably have an amazing time. So, Provided yeah. they have good knees. <laughs> you do need to have good i did say that in the blog post you need to have good knees and no vertigo let's talk a little bit more about the blog actually bella how did that kind of come about what made you want to become a blogger as well as all of the other multiple tasks and multiple plates that you're spinning so that happened this is, this is a very easy story easy question to answer because i have a very clear answer um yeah. i was working for lonely planet uh i was working as a video producer at lonely planet um i remember my first day at lonely planet was Probably the most exciting work day, getting my Lonely Planet lanyard mm, was only wow. seconds to getting my BBC lanyard when I started the BBC. In fact, maybe may equally as exciting. Um, and I went and worked there and did some filming for Lonely Planet. And while I was there, I said to my boss, um, I can write and I can take photos. Can, how do I get to write and take photos for Lonely Planet? And they said, well, where's the proof? Where's your, show me an example of your work if you if you don't you must have a travel blog if you don't have a travel blog you're not serious really um, how interesting and i and i was like oh do you know what you've kind of got point so i started a blog 
And then for about two years, it was really terrible because I knew nothing about SEO. <laughs> and I didn't want to, at that point, because I wasn't making any money from it. And I was like, I don't want to pay money for something that I'm not making money from. Absolutely. And and I so I didn't spend any money on anything, you know, on good hosting or good, you know, good theme or, you know, like any of the, any of the sort of extra things that you need to make a sure. blog work. And I did that for a couple of years and I was like, this blog is rubbish. And at this point, I started getting involved with blogging communities and so on um, and saw what everyone else was doing. And I was like, mine's really terrible. And and I do need to invest in it. Like if I want it to be good, you know, you've got to you do have to speculate to accumulate. You do have to invest. So I did then spend some money, you know, improving it. And then that's kind of when it started to take off. Fantastic. It feels like there's a lot of kind of reasons why people get into either travel writing or travel photography or travel blogging. And yours had a really, you know, literally a five minute conversation. It's a wonderful, wonderful lady who set you on the path to to your career as it is now. And uh, I mean, I think it, I have to say it, it feels a little bit counterintuitive, that advice on kind of on the face of it. Right. If you are if you work for Lonely Planet and you want people to create fantastic stories, fantastic uh, text, copy, imagery, video, whatever it may be. Isn't there something in the human psyche that kind of if you are creating amazing stories or living amazing stories and, and witnessing amazing stories while you're on your travels? Don't you feel like you want to keep the best stories back for your own blog? I, I do up to a point and I sometimes do, but I think blogging and travel writing are two very different disciplines and you can write about the same thing in different ways. And the stuff that I want to write, you know, the, the, the kind of lyrical stories don't do very well on, on a blog. Yeah, interesting. So yeah. actually it works quite well because, you know, the stories that I would pitch to magazines, they're never, then, well, some of them will commission listicles and that kind of stuff. But, you know, the stuff that does well for SEO, you know, top 10 things to do here. Snacky content, you that might That kind call of it. stuff, you know, that ranks on Google is not the stuff that National Geographic sure. or Wanderlust are going to commission. So all I tend to do is pitch and then, you know, and also most of your pitches don't land. You know, you pitch yeah, and pitch. And that isn't necessarily because it's a bad story. It's because they, they don't want it right now or they've had something similar recently or they don't cover that sort of thing. So you can pitch it. And then when it doesn't land, you can put it on the blog, which is how I tend to operate. I, I guess this is exactly right. This is kind of where I'm leading to because you've got, as you said, there's several uh, very, very similar plates to to keep spinning. And sometimes the more similar the plate is, the harder it is to differentiate between each individual task. And so you... It feels like you've got a, three very, very similar tasks in the sense of being trying to be a writer and a photographer and a travel blogger. Um, and there needs to be some obviously some delineation. Obviously, the skills overlap. If you're a fantastic photographer, that's probably going to help with your blog because your blog's going to going to look fantastic. But how do you kind of how did you get started in in this portfolio career? How do you compartmentalize in your own brain? And then maybe more specifically, have you got any more kind of tips about being a freelancer or about being a photographer or a writer or blogger I guess I, I got started because I it's something that I'm really interested in and I enjoy doing and I love and I've always been a passionate photographer so you know from a child I was the kid at school with a camera in, in the classroom right and um, and I got my first SLR I think from my when I was sort of 19 or something like that and I taught myself how to you know the difference between Apple mature and shelter speed and I kind of practiced by myself and I was just always it was just always something that I really loved doing so when it came to the blog it was just a question of I have all these photos I don't want them sitting on a on a hard drive and no one's okay. seeing them Facebook albums no one looks at and you know and I want to write as well and and it's partly as I say because I I wanted to be able to prove that I could so that then when you pitch 
you know, no one knows who you are and you say, hey, I can write a story for you. I can take photos for you. And they say, well, prove it. You can be like, well, look, here's my blog and you can see what I can do. So it's a it's a it's a shop window. Absolutely. So I was doing that just, you know, kind of for the fun of it. And then, as I said, I, I got more involved in the blogging community. And this kind of started because I went to Uganda. Um, so I, I'd got after Food Unwrapped and my fun rice cakes car crash experience. <laughs> Happy days. Um, I, I was a bit tired of, of TV. Food Unwrapped was quite stressful to work on. And I was sort of tired. And I, I was like, I just I don't know if this is what I want to keep doing. And I'm just going to take a break. and I'm going to travel for you a bit. You wanted to get away from the rice cakes. You I did. To, you wanted to go against the grain. Yes, we've got it. We've got it. We've got it. Okay. Happy day. Sorry, carry on. On with the story. Um. So I, so I looked around for an opportunity. And a girl that I had known. So she used to be a, de- a working telly as well. So I'd known oh. her for 10 years ago. And she had quit television to start up her own charity in Uganda. And she was always inviting people, filmmakers, to come out and make videos. She was very obviously very media savvy. She knew that for fundraising, you need, you know, these content. kind of yeah, you need content. So uh, there was a kind of I had a long-standing invitation from her to go and make content for them um, in Uganda. So I rang her up and said, "I'm thinking about coming. What do you think?" And literally about two weeks later, I was booked on a wow. flight. Um, she she was she was you know she saw the opportunity, she grabbed it. So I went off to Uganda <laughs> for three months. And while I was there, that was sort of the time that I really sort of had time to to blog and something interesting to blog about. So I blogged a lot about Uganda and the um, Ugandan tourism people got in touch and said, we see you're in Uganda and, you know, would you like to work together and can we help you out? So I did a little bit of work with them, which was the first time I'd done any kind of collaborations with brands or destinations, which was great. Wonderful. And then from that, I kind of, you know, I sort of saw this, this wind, this opportunity opening up where I could do that sort of thing got involved with the Traverse travel blogging community, you know. Shout out to the Traverse team. Out Traverse. Um, went to a couple of events, met some really lovely people, and really at that point felt like I'd found kind of a place that I wanted to Your be. Your tribe, with. as they oh, call yes. it, right? I mean, it sounds really cheesy. No, but... but it works, right? It's the right word. Other people who work in travel and travel blogging and travel writing and photography, you know, they're the same as me. You know, obviously, we're we all we're all outward looking. We're all creative people. We all love travel. I've really found in that community a, a sort of a, a real sense of belonging and a, a just a lovely, lovely bunch of people to hang out and have drinks with. So um, so I, and I learned I've learned a lot from that, you know, and so some people, you know, hugely successful people doing brilliant stuff and that everybody's very generous with their knowledge and you know you can see what people are doing and improve and you know i'm i leaps and bounds behind many of them because i'm only doing it part-time but you know i sort of no one is ever 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 precious about that and you know it's just i'm sort of now gushing and rambling and <laughs> not at all it's all wonderful it is a wonderful community there is there is something very very special about about that community let's be frank it's wonderful yeah, so so that kind of I guess encouraged me to you know seeing what other people were doing, people who are doing it full time, um, you know, and and the stuff that they were doing and the content that they were producing kind of has been in, inspiring to to me to to get work harder, aim higher, do more. Um, so I now do that sort of I wouldn't say half the year, but you know I I maybe do six to nine months of TV projects depending on you know what I'm asked to do. And then I can have three to six months of time spent on the blog and traveling and pitching and writing and photography and whatever. Wonderful. 
let's just pick up on something you said there, which is SLR, which is not an acronym. It's an initialism, SLR, which I think a lot of people who are working in photography today might not even know what that means. SLR, I'm going to age myself now, but I believe it means single lens reflex camera. Of course, you might have heard of DSLR, which is the digital equivalent. Um, but we, we, we've probably aged ourselves a little bit there, Bella, by knowing what an SLR camera is. Um, and I think it's fair to say that we've both been in the industry for, for some time now. And Lord knows the industry, travel, travel media, particularly travel photography and, you know, social media and everything included. Lord knows these things have changed really, really dramatically in the last five to ten years. And we will pick that conversation up after these messages. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Before the break, Bella, we were talking a little bit about SLR and DSLR and the ever-changing kind of internet versus pre-internet world of travel and how it's changed and how it's affected travel media particularly. Um... Uh, Lord knows, I'm sure you've got plenty of anecdotes about your experiences from pre-internet travel. We were speaking a little bit about this before we went on air in terms of, you know, it wasn't that long ago, folks. Imagine this. You would arrive at a destination. Nobody would know that you had got there because you didn't have a phone to tweet to say, wow, look at me, I'm here. Nobody, you know, in your family or your loved ones would actually know that you were safe and healthy and well and alive. And you had to go to these crazy, crazy things called internet cafes to to log on to this thing called the internet which was still quite weird and new and you were you'd send an email to let you know you know let people know i'm here i'm alive it's all going really really well and i've found some accommodation i wasn't able to book it in advance because booking.com didn't exist but i've made it and i've checked in and look, i'm sure bella you've had hundreds of these kinds of experiences do any kind of examples of these kind of ridiculous pre-internet travel anecdotes come to mind yeah, I mean, a lot of them kind of merge into one because it, sure. it, a lot of time it was the same experience, and it was. And I'm I'm very glad that I did experience that. But equally, I suppose now I'm glad that I don't have to experience that anymore. <laughs> We've had the I, best of both worlds, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a crazy time, and and I was young enough to not mind it. Yeah. Um, and I feel slightly, you know, with that sort of wisdom of experience and slightly judgmental looking at the youth. <laughs> the youth. Far too easy these don't days. know they're born. They don't know they're born. They do have it far too easy to say. The travel is much <laughs> easier and safer and better now. 
and you know and certainly even like the things like the quality of the hostel so you were talking about you know you arrive you get off the bus in the, in the bus station and the first thing that happens when you get off the bus is you haven't got a booking and all of the local taxi drivers and whatever they know you haven't got a booking they know you don't know anything because you haven't been able to look it up online and check whether or not they're saying is true so you have to trust them so the guys are going to be there being like i know a great hostel come with me or you know <laughs> and it's yeah. probably his cousin or his mate right well, exactly so yeah. quite a lot of the time you'd get in and you'd go with them and you'd end up in some dive somewhere but there would be a room and you would just stay there and sure. normally it'd be fine um but it would probably be quite rubbish uh and or you know you'd have the lonely planet which was the only guidebook and everybody would have the lonely planet so off you would traipse with your backpack you know walking around for hours trying to find the place quite often the maps were incorrect so you place and then you'd find it wasn't there and you'd have to ask and you'd eventually find it and everybody else would have done the same thing and you'd get there and it would be full so then you'd be like okay we'll have to go to the next one on the list and then off you would go and you could walk around for hours trying to find somewhere to stay Mm -hmm. and eventually just you know end up wherever and be like oh look we're here it's a room it's fine um you know and the quality of the places because people can't write scathing reviews on TripAdvisor couldn't then obviously of course they would be terrible whereas now everybody has to slightly has to up their game and you have these hostels now are fabulous you know they have wi-fi and they have games rooms and they have you know tours and beer night well they're instagram friendly right they they actually kind of play off how beautifully done they are so that people take photos of it yeah 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 i mean none of that you know you're lucky if you have a working shower and a bed and not too many cockroaches you know so uh yeah like less than five is fine right like anything more than that I definitely, I've definitely done my fair share of removing cockroaches from. Um, so I'm not squeamish about cockroaches at all because I've like, yeah, dealt with part, quite a lot. It's part of the, uh, it's part of the whole shebang that is the world of travel, or, or maybe was the world of pre-internet travel, and I'm sure is still the the current world of travel. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I mean, I had a cockroach in my room in Costa Rica in August. So. Oh, right, but less than five. Only one. Only oh, one. fine, fine, easy. It was totally <laughs> indestructible. I, I just couldn't get that's own. the point right like that's that's not uh, was it cockroaches and nokias they're the only things that's going to survive <laughs> the armageddon right yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely <laughs> so, so yeah so i mean i i i'm glad that i experienced that and as i said you know there were sleeping in brothels and there were you know many many other experiences that you know toughen you up and give you confidence and life experience and stuff but equally now i'm i'm quite happy to be able to reserve a nice hostel on booking.com or you know know where i'm going before i get there so. absolutely i think folks we're we, bella and i are dangerously close to being like two sad old grumpy people in a corner reminiscing about the good old days so maybe this is like a good time to kind of wend our way towards the end uh before we kind of you know tuck into our cocoa on a friday night and reminisce and you know tell the youth they don't know they're born and oh it wasn't like that in my day so maybe we should kind of start wending our way towards the finish Bella because I can feel my grey hairs coming through already um, folks you've been listening to Bella Falk a producer director writer and photographer thank you so much for joining us Bella perhaps you could kind of leave us with uh, for somebody who wanted to follow in your footsteps for somebody who wanted to become any of those four incredible job titles what kind of tips would you give to to the youth of somebody who would like to get into the industry nowadays? I get asked this a, a fair amount, of and course. it's hard because obviously I got involved in all of this stuff as we've just discussed far many more years ago <laughs> than I would like to I would like to admit when things were very different and we didn't. Sure. I mean, the internet did exist, but it wasn't what it is now. Of course. But I think the I think the advice that you know that the, the Lonely Planet person gave me still apply when I mean, that wasn't that long ago still applies you have to be able to you have to do it you have to be that you have to have the passion for it and you have to be able to show to anyone who's asking 
what you can do because if you just turn up and say i want to be a writer i want to work in telly you know no one's going to believe you unless right. you can prove it because it is very competitive and if you if you don't have a youtube channel or a tiktok account or a instagram or a blog or whatever it might be you know there will be you know a hundred other people who do and right. they will be the ones who will get looked at first i mean it's, everything is very visual you know and if i if you know if anybody contacted me and said i'd like to come and do some work experience in tv the first thing i would want to see is some evidence of that they're serious about it because why would you give them the opportunity over somebody who who, who can prove that stuff and it didn't bother me you know i wrote my blog for however many years just for the fun without any kind of reward beyond just wanting to put that stuff out there and and just keep myself busy with writing and editing photos and sharing them online so you know if you're not doing that i would question whether you're even that serious wow. um, and if you are then yes tiktok is obviously the, the place now particularly for tv i would say you need tiktok or, or youtube you don't have to you know do what i did and travel to to ghana although if you can then you know that's amazing that too. helped definitely but you know your local area or you know the your holidays or your friends just you know you have to get out there and you, it, it's so much more accessible now than it was when i was starting you know anybody can make a film on their phone you don't need or you know and a lot of some equipment is relatively affordable on you know buy online or whatever and just start doing it and practicing and watch webinars and you know read read blogs and see what other people are doing and copy them and that you know that just gets you kind of the practice and into the swing of it and then we you know with with kind of getting involved getting opportunities then it is about knocking on doors and it's about emailing people and going to places where you might be able to network and looking people up you know most most magazines for example they have who's the editor and who's sure. the your editor in the in the front page of the magazine you can you know, if you want to work in telly look at the kinds of documentaries if it's documentaries you want to do or programs whatever programs look at the kind of programs you want to work on look at the credits see who who are the production companies that make the programs that you're interested in write to them ask for a meeting ask for a coffee send your cv pester politely not of too course. much i mean i could go on but that's probably enough isn't it no pester politely is a wonderful <laughs> way to leave it. i think I, maybe i can sum up some some of that in saying surround yourself with people who are doing great things and that you can talk to and learn from surround yourself with people again like shout out to Travers. surround yourself with people who are, are generous and kind and welcome and happy to share information uh, and you know what do they say if you're the smartest person in the room you're the wrong you're in the wrong room right and i think this is a really wonderful kind of opportunity to be in the right room as people to have conversations and say oh actually we need this person to do this well hang, hang on uh, this me i can do that and they go oh yeah okay and off you go and that's kind of a really quite simple but really wonderful wonderful um way to to, to get ahead in this career shall we say and just to be a bit kind of ethereal for a minute, I think it it really harks nicely to travel in general, right? It's about meeting people and meeting people in the career element of travel is just as important as meeting people in the travel experience for for pleasure. Does that sound fair, Bella? Yeah, I mean, you're talking of shout outs. I mean, the other sort of slight turning point, I would say for me was I went to a National Geographic Traveller Masterclass. Yeah, yeah. So they, I think they run them online now. So it's not quite as easy possibly as it was when I went and did an in-person one. Right. But, you know, I went, you know, I bought a ticket and it was a full day of different masterclasses. And the one that particularly stands out was I went to the how to get your photography commissioned masterclass. Right. And Norai Jamil, who is a very, very exceptionally brilliant 
uh, travel photographer. She's written a brilliant book. Oh, yes, an absolutely brilliant book. You can go to bratguides.com. That's B-R-A-D-T guides.com. Her book is called The Travel Photographer's Way. Sorry, quick plug. Well, we love you, Nora. Sorry, Bella, carry on. Um, yeah, and so you know, it was an excellent talk. And then at the end, I, I went up at the, you know, the end and introduced myself and had a chat with her. And she was very, you know, very generous with her knowledge and very helpful. And from the back of having been to those masterclasses, I met a few other really helpful and useful people there as well. But, you know, her pitching session was was really helpful. And, you know, that was the first, after that I did my first pitching. And, yeah, I didn't get pitched, didn't get commissioned right away, but it started me. Perseverance, right? Road. Yeah. And then I got invited to be a speaker in a National Geographic Masterclass last year. And I was like, from sort of being an audience member to being a speaker. Wow. Well, that, that brings it beautifully full circle then. Maybe that is a wonderful, wonderful point to to leave it. Uh, exactly right you've kind of come from from audience member from was it the student has become the teacher it sounds like well I suppose in a way yeah it's nice. I'm not up to Nora's level of course but maybe one day oh, being modest you're being <laughs> modest and that's very good folks you've been listening to Bella Falk a producer director writer blogger and photographer it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining us Bella perhaps you can tell everybody where they can find you online and on social media Yes, thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, you can find me, the blog is Passport and Pixels, A-N-D, pixels.com. And on Instagram, I am Passport and Pixels. And on Twitter, I am Passport and Pix. Stop after the X because Twitter wouldn't let me have any more letters. <laughs> sure. Fantastic. Thanks again, Bella. This is the Journey Podcast, which is available at journeymag.com. That's J-R-N-Y-M-A-G.com or wherever you usually access your podcasts. I'm Sorry Wilmore, and thanks for listening. Thank you.